Hey, Bobby here. Welcome to Quotalist, where software sales leaders and professionals share ideas to help you master your mind, your business, and your time. Remember, when we embrace practice, develop awareness, and align our efforts, we can rise above the deal. We can live Quotalist. Hey everyone, I'm Bobby Dysart, and this is Quotalist. Today's episode is sponsored by my podcasting partner, SalesCast. They offer revenue-first podcasts for entrepreneurs and sales leaders. You can catch me as well as the founders, Colin and Chris, hanging out on their Slack uh, in their podcasting community. If you're interested, it's free to join. Just head over to salescast.co. Before I introduce today's guest, Kevin K.D. Dorsey, uh, as we've grown accustomed to here on Quotalist, we want to start with one question trivia. So, uh, Kevin, uh, you're a reader, a voracious read- reader, as, as I think you, uh, you put out there in the ether, and a sales book reader specifically. So, this is going to be about sales books. Um, this might be a little before your time, so I'm going to be impressed right. if you know this one. Right. Uh, it's one of my favorite all-time sales books. It tells a story about a masterful businessman in search of a new apprentice. When he finds the apprentice, he gives a gift of 10 scrolls for which he credits all his success and wealth. Part of scroll nine reads, never has there been a scroll, even such as the one I hold, which earned so much as a penny or produced a single word of acclamation. Action alone is the tender, which ignites the map, the parchment, this scroll, my dreams, my plans, my goals into a living force. Action is the food and drink which will nourish my success. I will act now. Is that book A, the greatest salesman in the world? B, Zig Ziglar's secrets of closing a sale? C, gap selling? D, Jeffrey Gittimer's little red book of selling? I didn't even know that was going to be multiple choice. Greatest salesman <laughs> in the world, Og Mandino. Let's go. All right, all right. I was ready. I was like, oh, I got this. And then you gave me selections. I'm like, all right. Like, Ogmandino, greatest salesman in the world. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well done. Yeah. You know, I, maybe I got to stop doing it. Uh, last last episode with Ali Rizakos, uh, Saint, actually, she, she, she told me right away that she knew it. So I didn't even read the multiple oh, choice. But I, She's always, as usual, one step ahead of me in so many places. So I respect it. Allie's a gangster. She's so good. Indeed, indeed. Well, great. Uh, uh, job well done on getting that. Um, you've already heard the listener from, from Kevin a little bit here. I'll, I'll give the, uh, the, some of the accolades, um, some of the accomplishments. Well, you're a founder of the Patreon group, Inside Sales Excellence. You're a host of your own podcast, Live Better, Sell Better. Uh, you're the sales leadership lead for winning by design. And I think Kevin, you're at least from my perspective in my own little software, software circle, you're one of the most recognized sales trainers, um, at least that I know of. So, um, welcome to, uh, to Quotalist, Kevin, any, anything else you want to throw out there of basically why we should listen to you today? (laughs) Probably shouldn't, right? The moment you tell people why they should, they immediately tone out. So I'm going to go the other way. You shouldn't listen to me. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I've just made this far off pure luck, good looks, and hard work. So there we go. All right. All right. Again, again with the self-deprecation, that's just not true. Kevin knows a ton. I I was weeding through some of your your LinkedIn, and I, I didn't know about the success of your Udemy course. That thing... That thing's got just tons of reviews. People love that thing. Dude, it's almost like 5,000 students have gone through that. Um, I, last I checked, it was still the highest rated course in its category and the highest volume course, which is rare. Um, but no, man, like I love to, to share what I'm learning and what I've seen work and how to do things. Like I love salespeople. I want to make their lives easier. And so that's, I think why I have the reputation that I have is like, I really do try to give back and I really focus a lot on training and development. Cause that's, that's where it actually happens, right? Like people talk about it too much in sales, not enough people actually practice it and do it. And so no, nah, man, the course has been a blast. 
like way bigger than I thought it was going to be and way more reach. Like I get way more in that course, like outside of SaaS, you know, mm. like way more outside of SaaS, which is pretty cool. You know, that's not a network that I'm proactively in. So it's cool to have that reach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk a lot about training and particular training amongst mid-level managers, which um, when we were talking before the show, like I just wholeheartedly agree that's a, that's a space that needs developed. So excited to dive into some of the work you're doing there. Um, but I want to start with why, basically why we're talking this moment, yeah. uh, mutual friend, Colin, um, I, I guess had talked to you in a different uh, podcast about, mm, about commission structure. Mm-hmm. How, how he framed it was, you think commission should just go away, that it's a, a thing of the past. And I, I can be dissuaded. I, I can be persuaded, you know, one way or the other. But um, at that same time, I had put it, put out an article sort of calling for sales folks to cut their salaries in half um, to make more room for additional commission and the mission, uh, additional compensation by way of uh, variable comp. Mm-hmm. So um, curious to have that conversation. Uh, I, I know my side and I'll weave it in, but I know nothing about your side, what, what point you made about commission on mm-hmm. that previous podcast. So let's start there. Yeah. So my point on commissions, and I want to be very clear, I'm not against bonuses. I'm not against paying for overperformance. By no means is that what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the structure of this 50-50 split or 60-40 split isn't working for a lot of reasons. Mm. And I think, and that's what we can dive into here, but the idea that, you know, 40, sometimes 50% of someone's income is determined by their ability to hit a target that they didn't set with a company that may not know how to set them, Mm. right? And to drive the behavior that we think, like this is the best part about it. We think commission, like people, money are motivated. We already know this. Most people are not money motivated. Most people want money. Most people are not money motivated. And there's a huge difference. If salespeople were money motivated, 50% of this industry wouldn't be missing quota. Mm. Period. That's right. That's so right. let's dive into it, my man. That's my <laughs> initial stance and we can go deep. Cool, cool. Well, you won't get any pushback on on, on that point. Um, I agree the 50-50, um, if, if it's not the reason that folks are missing quota, it's certainly a, a component to it, right? It, and, yeah. and change- so let's go, as we'll go down there, right? Because that is a big thing that I've been studying a lot of it, like way prior to even like now, right? You look at human motivation, right? Do you know what the studies have shown on applying a monetary reward to a cognitive behavior? No, I don't. It reduces problem solving capability. It reduces creativity. It reduces EQ and it reduces learning by putting monetary rewards on a cognitive task. It reduces all the things necessary to perform that cognitive task, AKA it actually makes us dumber. Physical or monetary rewards for physical activities. There, there is a threshold and then diminishing returns. But if I pay you more to put a bolt on a tire, you will put more bolts on a tire for that breakdown. But for a cognitive task, they've actually proven it works against, works against the very thing that you're trying to motivate, right? So the money goes against what the end goal is there. Do we want our people being better problem solvers? Yes. More creative? Yes. Better listeners? Yes. More EQ? Yes. Monetary rewards attached to that behavior decrease all of those things. Hmm. Interesting. And you're saying that that really holds more weight in a commission environment as opposed to a salaried environment? Correct. Right. So, you know, you heard the phrase that salespeople are coin operated. Ever heard this phrase before? Okay. I think people forget how a coin operated machine works. (laughs) If I go to a vending machine that is coin operated and I want something out of that vending machine, Do I press the button, get the chips, and then put the money in? No. (laughs) What do you have to do to get that? Put the money in. People forget what coin operated means. Right. Right. Coin operated actually means if you pay for it, you get it. Mm. And that's not how we've structured commissions and comp plans for salespeople. It's the other way around. We make them 
pay or get it to get paid, which then also goes against everything they've shown on habit creation, right? Habit creation, one of the most important things for habit creation is reward close to behavior, Mm. reward close to behavior. Commissions are not reward close to behavior. I closed a deal. When do I get paid on it? Later, <laughs> in the quarter, 30 days Later. after the quarter. Right? So I've even, te- I've, I've dabbled with this idea. What if I could do real-time commissions? Mm. Again, cool. things that I'd be open to. You close the deal, refresh your bank app. Wow. Like that might be different, wow. right? But that's not how it's structured in SaaS. So I can keep going on this, my man. This is, <laughs> this is the... No, I, I love it. I love it. And um, again, I, I, I do want to make sure I, I underscore um, the importance of change and, and innovating because that, you know, think of how much technology is innovated, how innovative companies have been, but this 50-50 SaaS thing has been around a long time. Um, and it's just just really the status quo. Now, the, the sort of lens that I'm looking through, um, I don't know if you read the article, but um, I'm looking at it as, as sales folks, um, at least the ones I engage with, are constantly looking for more freedom, more autonomy, more control of their time, right? They want more flexibility in their work. And what, when, I see, when I see the salaries that, that are getting rewarded um, to enterprise sales folks, right? We're talking high six figures. Some of these salaries are 140, 150, dare I say 200 grand a year. And when I see those kind, that, that kind of salary, I see that really tying, um, tying a rep to that company, right? That, that actually increases the tension, increases the expectations versus, you know, if, if we cut those salaries way down and, you know, rep is sort of free to, you know, again, that, that burden is just much lighter, right? If it's like a 40 grand salary, 30 grand salary, right? Like the expectations are just drastically diminished. And that rep is sort of free to, to work at whatever pace that rep wants to work. And I think you can also use that extra money in different ways, right? So, you know, if I were to, if I were an enterprise sales rep and I get offered, you know, 150, 150 split, um, I'd actually, I, I think I could negotiate to go down to say a 50 grand salary. And instead of having a 300 OTE, I negotiate a 400K OTE because, then I'm leaning into that, to that principle of paying me later, as opposed to running away from it. I'm actually bargaining with that. It's like, okay, pay me later, but I want a premium on that, uh, on that, uh, dynamic. And I think companies would be down with it. Um, and again, it increases that flexibility. For sure. There's, the only- there's other solutions you can do yeah. with it too. But I think generally speaking, again, I, I don't like the idea of tying myself um, more and more by, by having a higher salary and higher expectations. Yeah. And so, and this is what's very interesting. I think about the sales industry in a lot of ways is the people that make it to the top, okay. The use of the world, the me's of the world, the people that like get to the top of this, we are different. How we are wired is different, but then we build comp plans <laughs> Like we think about things, mm-hmm. right? We build quotas off the way we would have worked, right? We get this top-down environment. People at the top oftentimes are money motivated. That's what drove them to get to the top. So then that gets projected down to everybody. You're like, I want more flexibility and freedom. That's you, my friend. You know what most people actually want? Security and safety. Right. The vast majority of people, human beings, crave security and safety more than they crave flexibility and freedom. Freedom is scary for a lot of people. Like flexibility actually scares a lot of people. Like what the hell do I do with my day? Like what what do I do here, right? So that's where my dream scenario is two comp plans, two comp plans. One looks a lot like what you're talking about. Mm. For the people that know that's what's best for them, that's the plan that they'll pick, right? Lower base, high commission, go make your money. Mm. Second one, 80, 90% base. You have to be above 80% on your quote on a consistent basis. And by the way, for everyone listening, I'm still going to overpay for overperformance. Yeah. 
Okay. You're hitting 125%. You're making more than the person hitting 85%. Don't worry about that. Right. But in the example that you gave, especially for an enterprise rep, are you able to go all year on that 50K base? You're an enterprise rep. That deal cycle is nine to 12 months. Can you literally go off 50K all year to get that 300K in Q4? If you can, great. Most people can't live that way either. And the moment people are focused on living over selling, that's why we have such a bad rap in this industry. That's why telling people that your salespeople are non-commissioned is an advantage. Think about that for a second. People will advertise that their people are non-commissioned as a reason to work with them. That should tell us everything we need to know about the industry. You, you mean as it, and that's, that's an advantage for the, for the worker? Yeah. No, no, no. For the buyer. A buyer would rather work with a non-commissioned salesperson than a commissioned I see. Salesperson. I see. I see. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't totally seen the data on that. I, I mean, that sounds sort of reasonable, but, um, but I could also see it not really mattering to, to the buyer. Do you know where salespeople rank on the trust meter? On the trust meter. Where yes. are we at? Very, very low. Right. I love that you're a proud salesperson. Like, I don't really, I want to see the data. Walk down the goddamn street and go ask 10 well, people. No, it's just, I, I just don't know if that, I don't know if that actually fixes it. It's not, I agree that that's a problem. I just don't know if they're like, oh, well, they're not commissioned. So now my trust meter like triples, you know, I don't know if that. Why, why don't they trust us? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think, I think it's mostly has to do with training, right? We're just not very good at it <laughs> collectively. We're not great at looking at our jobs as, you know, assisting folks through a process. We're more looking at it. We actually have a very fear-based approach, right? We're, we're constantly nervous about whether or not we're, we're going to get fired. We're going to get let, let go. We're not going to perform our job. And that nervous tension rubs off on our, rubs off on our that that's exactly what I'm saying. And a lot of that is driven from, because I need to make money. Mm -hmm. I need to close this deal to get paid versus I'm paid to close this deal. The idea of commission breath, the idea of you're only trying to close me because you're going to get paid. That's where the distrust comes from, right? Is you, you don't really care about me. It's to get paid. Right. And that's the biggest gap I see there from consumers. Right. Consume that you can, you can poll anybody you want. Go do a LinkedIn poll tomorrow. <laughs> right. Would you rather work with a salesperson that's paid commission or not? I bet the vast majority of people would say yes. I am curious. This, this sort of bumps up against this other idea that I, I thought about in, in that article. Um, and I'm just curious your take and whether or not you agree. Like, I do think there's this there's this sort of like false security um, with with salespeople that they think if they have a salary, um, you, you, that that their job is is ever really safe when they're not selling, right? Like, bottom line, like a carpenter's job is to build a house, <clears throat> an engineer's job is to build software, a salesperson's job is to complete a deal, right? Complete a sales cycle, and so. <clears throat> it's sort of inevitable that we're either going to close those deals and get paid or we're not going to close those deals and we're going to go do a different job. Yeah. And so, you know, at a certain point, regardless, like you have to kind of, you kind of have to recognize that, that reality. And so, so even in your scenario, if somebody's getting paid, you know, 90% salary, right. Their job still is really on the line if they mm -hmm. don't sell deals because right. Right. Like I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not part mm -hmm. of it. Performance management and pay structures are different. I think I can get more people to 80, 90% if they're being paid to hit 80, 90%. Because here's another thing in terms of psychology. What do people work harder for? Gain or avoid loss? Probably avoid loss, huh? <clears throat> okay. They know this already. How are comp plans structured? <laughs> more opportunistically, yeah. So what if we flipped it? Yeah. You, your, your base is 100K. You miss that quarter, it drops to 90K. Mm. You miss that quarter, it drops to 70K. And you miss again, you're gone. 
right? Again, what we, this is what, like, I don't hate it. I really like that you flipped it on its head like that. Right. It's not, this is not, I want everyone listening. This is not about performance management. This is not about like whether or not they can keep their job or not. What this is about is I believe paying people to do their job will lead to higher overall performance than making people do their job to get paid. Why do we think salespeople are different than everybody else? The examples you give, the engineer gets paid to do their job. The carpenter gets paid to do their job. Hopefully they do it well. Sometimes they don't. They still got paid in that. And if they don't do it well long enough, they lose their job regardless. Doctors get paid. Lawyers get paid. Teachers get paid. Everyone else gets paid to do their job. That's right. Fox SAS. HR gets paid. Finance gets paid. <laughs> Engineering gets paid. Marketing gets paid. Yeah, there's a... Why do we think salespeople, who again are people... Brains are wired differently than everybody else when they're not, right? So that fear of loss, I also think like I'd never lead through fear, but it's a different framework because the same things that you're saying around the provide flexibility, right? If it's all commission, I'm more flexible. Well, it's true. That's also why I think the way SaaS is structured, that's also why people feel certain things are flexible. Like, well, my base only pays me to do this. Yep. Oh, I have to hit my call activity. Nah, I don't want to hit my call activity. Like, oh, I want to update Salesforce. I don't want to update Salesforce versus if I'm paying you to do those things. It's a totally different um, dynamic. So like that's that's at the crux of it as well. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think what what is clarifying for me is the current structure is sort of in the middle of these two um, polar strategies, these opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I, and I, and I totally love your, um, your suggestion and your idea of sort of emulating how we pay other professions, how we emulate other departments that pay around other departments to, to take away some of that, mm, just some of that murkiness that exists in the current structure. Um, my, my way is basically just saying, if you're going to be, if you're going to be commissioned, go all the way, lean into that, lean into that reality. Cause you're fooling yourself. If you think in the middle, you're getting the best of both worlds. I think you're actually getting the worst of each. I, I completely agree there. There is no, there's no positive to it. The only unfortunate example, and again, this is, you know, the way you think about things, maybe the way I think about things too, is like, again, that's assuming you can get to your number. Because what companies won't allow to happen is like, oh, wait, I'm going to pay you more to do less because that also doesn't work. All right. I sign up for a 50K base, but I'm going to get paid 20% per deal instead of 15% per deal. Now, if I'm landing at 60% of my number, I'm making more. The company's getting less. So financially, cost of acquisition gets destroyed in that because, yeah, I took on more risk but I didn't have to sell as much to make as much. And then that framework doesn't work. It works when we're thinking about 100% attainment. Mm. It doesn't work at 80% attainment because now I'm paying this person 80, like who only hit 80%, the equivalent of someone who hit 100% because they have a stronger accelerator plan. That won't work for most companies. Yeah, I mean, we're probably reaching the scope of this conversation, but, um, but yeah, I think in that scenario, right, it it starts to, again, I think from a company's perspective, it actually starts to lean into this, mm, this new world where, you know, work is a little bit democratized, right? People, you know, there's the creator economy, there's folks being able to take on, you know, additional work, more consultative work. Um, different approaches. And you, you know, I think in that, in that scenario, the business is going to be smarter to start diversifying their sales pool. Um, and it's going to, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's just as much change for the company as it is on the individual. And you got to make those numbers work. You definitely got to make those numbers work. That, that's where it gets tricky, right? Is like, I, again, a hundred percent attainment, a lot of things work at a hundred percent attainment. <laughs> The industry is not a hundred percent attainment industry. And I think that's what we continue to make plans and comp plans and forecasts and board meetings based off an attainment number that most people actually aren't at. Right. And I think too, you talk about like diversity of pool 
tell me I couldn't go get a more diverse pool if they knew they were going to make 100K versus 50-50. You know how many people we don't get into sales because they can't imagine waking up every day and not knowing if they're going to get paid? That's right. Like no. we miss out on diversity because people can't imagine doing this. We want to talk about women in sales and luckily patient pop, they changed their policy. Shout out David McNeil. We talked about this. So like, you know how maternity leave works, right? Mm-hmm. Most States, what is maternity leave? What do you get paid? I have no idea. <laughs> a percentage of your base. Mm. So you are a female sales rep. You have 150 K OTE but a 75 K base. When you go on maternity leave, you are getting a percentage of the base, not of your OT. So we wonder why we don't get more women in sales. That's a massive risk. You're talking about taking a 70% pay cut during your maternity leave. And then you step back into a role with a full quota that you got to rent back up to. We lose out on diversity because people don't feel secure enough to join it. And as much as we like to think salespeople are, you know, risk averse and competitive and all that, they're not, dude. You've been in this industry. 10% are. The other 90% are normal people who are in a sales job. That's and right. that's it. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. And sometimes it's, it's actually really interesting now, 15 years in, whatever I'm at, to, to talk to folks that like have just, it's that have stress around like, end of quarter, not getting their pay. Like I've, I've, I've just built up such scar tissue <laughs> around that. I'm so numb that I, I, it just, it just, I can't really relate to it. Um, Cause it's, I'm just so over it. It just doesn't matter to me. I'm so used to that. To go back to your original point, I definitely am looking at, look at that world with a, with a totally different lens. Yeah. Where like one of the things I talked about with my managers all the time, I am not you, you are not me. We are not them. They are not us. And anytime you find yourself thinking the way you would do something, the way you would be motivated, the way you would approach it, so you got to stop it immediately. There's a reason why you're sitting on that desk right now and why I'm sitting at this desk right now. It's, we're different than people coming up. I have something, I, funny enough, I just texted my wife this the other day because she was back out in LA. There's something that I remind myself of at least on a weekly basis. And it's a very simple phrase. And it says, I'd still be working. I'd still be working. And it's a reminder of when I was 22 to 27. Not a lot of people know like my full background. I was working in personal training gyms in LA. I was working 80 plus hours a week. I was in the gym at 5 a.m. I'd have like a short break for lunch and then in the gym till 9, 9 30 a.m. Monday through Saturday and a half day on Sunday. I was making 42K a year working those types of hours. And so like, I refuse to forget what it felt like to be in that position. I refuse to I would say, well, I'd still be working right now. I'd still be working. I couldn't be on a podcast right now. I'd still be working nine o'clock at night. I'd still be working. I had my daughter when I was making 42K a year, only income for the household. Like I will never forget what it's like to feel like you have to close that deal just to survive, just to like put something on your table. I think that's the problem is we forget that as leaders. We forget that, right? You're scarred. You made it in. You were one of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Everyone else isn't the best of the best. That's such a good Why gratitude practice, bro. And yeah, thanks for sharing that story. You know, I mean, <clears throat> it, it just brings me back to my my sales roots. Um, I didn't have that job. My, well, I guess my, my first job in college, I was building houses. I was a carpenter. So um, I remember working two degree days out in the uh, Ohio uh, winter, just <laughs> shoveling snow off of decks and making sixteen fifty an hour. So uh, I liked that. I'd still be working. That's a, that's a good one. I, I remind myself often. Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to move forward. It's easy to get out there. Like, I'm going to get done with this call today. It's my last call of the day. It'll be, you know, call 545 my time. Mm -hmm. My night shift would have already been three hours in and I wouldn't be done for the next four hours, right? I finally left my, my, my wife, bless her soul. Like she stayed with me through all that, right? Like at one point she was ready to call like whatever, like, employee services or whatever, because I was on salary. Right. So I'm making like four bucks an hour based off my actual 
hours, I missed my daughter's first rollover. Missed my daughter's first rollover because where was I? I was at the gym. All right. And I got the text. My, oh, like Lily rolled over. And I grew up in a broken home. Right. So I was I was never going to be that dad that wasn't around. I was that dad that was never around, but I was doing it for my family. Right. I'm working for my family. And that's not how this this all works. So we have to remember that as leaders and leaders, if you're listening, stop thinking like a leader for a second. Put yourself back in that sales rep shoes and know what it's like to not know if you're going to pay rent next month. Know what it's like to not know if you're going to have your car payment. Like know what it's like, and especially the people old school, old school, you know what it's like to have to make an $800 per month student loan payment. Like we, we just forget that. And that's where I think I, I would, I would go against any company, any company. You're paying 50-50 with a 150 OTE. I'm paying 115K straight base with bonus. I, I will out-recruit you. I'll out-hire you. And I also think I'll outperform you. I like it, man. Well, I'm taking it to the streets. I'll definitely have my, uh, my consulting conversations around, uh, rep convert are going to be a little <clears throat> influenced. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Point before anyone else says I've tested this by the way. <laughs> Good. I've well, tested. I, I mean, I wanted to get, I, I want to start talking about your manager development work, but, um, but yeah, I was curious, like th- this, again, this is hard to change because it's such a status quo. Like it's been doing it for so long. So is, yeah. Has there been success stories where you've broken, yeah. You've broken the mold. I've tested it on both sides. I have doubled commission. And what do you think happened to results? I doubled commission. What do you think happened to the results, my friend? <laughs> Based on your confidence, I assume they plummeted. No, they didn't plummet. Oh, they just didn't change. They didn't change. Yeah. Top 5%, they went out and got their money. They went crazy. The other 95%, <laughs> we're talking about doubling commissions. Right. Okay. So I've tested on that side. I've also tested the other way. I had an LDR team, right? So like lead development reps, paid them straight base. This is your job, base 60K, quarterly bonuses. If you're doing things well, here's your performance expectations. And what do you think they did? I assume it improved. <laughs> assume they, improvement was that. They did their job. Yeah, they, they did what they were paid to do. Their job. They did what they were paid to do, right? And they knew what they were making right i still remember some of those original og ldrs that could go get their first car like go move into a new spot because they knew what their paycheck was going to be every single month right you've been in this game for a minute i've been in this game for a minute in the last (laughs) jesus this will be what 13 years i have never woken up and known what i was going to make think about that Right. We trust that we'll figure it out. I have in 13 years, <laughs> I have never woken up and known what I'm going to make that month. 13 years, dude. That's why we're a little bit cuckoo in the head, man. Like we think different. 13 years of not knowing that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. No, oh, man. Uh, I love it. You've been thinking about a lot and I really, really dig how you're bringing it back to empathy, basically for the employee. Um, I, I don't think that gets, that gets taught enough, right? In sales circles, we, we get taught to, you know, empathize with the customer all the time, right? Like that's drilling in our heads, understand what the, the customer is going through, treat the customer unique. As salespeople, we're expendable. <laughs> our, our leaders, uh, you know, are, are, are sort of taught that, right? We don't, we don't take that same sort of mindset to, uh, to training and to the employees. So I like that. Hilarious. It's hilarious to me, right? We do proper discovery for our prospects. We never do prospect or discovery for our employees. We want to find out what the goals of our prospects are. We never find out what the goals of our employees are. We want to be a consultant to our prospect. We rarely even consult our people internally. Like it's, it's comical, right? Like we teach our people to listen to the prospects. We don't listen to our employees. Like it's just, it's, it's, it blows my mind. It really does. Yeah. But that's, that's, you know, why, why I think there's such a big opportunity with some of the work you're doing um, with pavilion, with winning by design. Um, I think it, you know, the, the sort of 
the most challenging spot is also the most opportunistic spot, which is those directors, those VPs, those managers. That seems to be the squeaky wheel in every fast-growing SaaS company. So tell me a little bit about um, your work there and, and where you're focusing. Yeah. I mean, the, the big focus, right, is there's two big parts of leadership, right? There's people and there's process. We're never really taught how to lead people like how to lead people, how to get the most out of people. We're never taught how to do that, right? And that's the first problem is we don't know how to actually bring the most out of people. We're, we're never taught how to do that. We don't know, like the, I've rattled off five or six different studies on this call. How many people know those things about human motivation and human psychology and how what we fear and how we respond to fear and how like all of those things aren't taught on the people side. How to get, and like, that's a big focus is if we can just get more out of our people, screw the cold call script for a second. If I can just get you to be the best version of yourself, mm. results will already go up, right? So there's a lot of focus on the people side of leadership. On the flip side, there is process, right? Do you understand your metrics? Do you understand what's causing the metrics? Do you understand how to create a coaching plan? Do you know how to be a coach? Do you even know how to run a role play. We've been running role plays. You know how to run a role play. What about interviewing? What about hiring? What about firing? Right. I just taught a session on how to fire. You know why? Because no one teaches us how to fire. <laughs> right. And it's a shitty topic, but someone needs to teach it. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I'm really focused on like, how can we do the people side, the process side, but also on the people side is how to take care of yourself as a manager and a leader. Leadership is stressful. Any of y'all out there sitting here right now thinking you want to be a VP someday or you want to get into management, I'm going to tell you point blank. If you love selling, keep doing it. Mm. It's easier. Selling is so much easier than leading salespeople. Bar Simpler. none. Simpler. Like, oh my God. Like, I don't think there's been a day that goes by in the last 10 years of my leadership life that I haven't been like, dude, I should just go back to selling. That was, that was easy. Control, like to your point, control my time, focus, take care of me, make my money, deuces, I'm out. Like leadership's hard and taking care of yourself as a leader is really important. That's actually why I decided to step away from my last role. I was no longer able to be my best self. I was no longer able to generate enough energy to be the type of leader I know I want to be. I found myself not caring as much. I found myself not thinking of the person as much as I know that I need to and should. And that was my signal of like, hey, it's time to time to step out for a little bit. It's time to get back to that frame of mind because that's the type of leader that I hold myself to be. And that was a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. And well, well said all the way around. I mean, I guess I'm just curious on that piece about salespeople staying salespeople. Um, cause I think tomorrow I'll run into two salespeople that tell me they want to be VPs. Um, and, and it's, it's always the sellers that are really, you know, pretty good too. Like they're, they're already doing really well at that job. Um, how are you handling those conversations differently? And, and, and are people really listening to you? Cause I don't think anybody's ever listened to me. Yeah, so, <laughs> they, well, just, because, they just go so do it. The yes is, yes is the answer because funny enough, you could actually ping my management team on this and even some of my sales reps, right? We had an acronym that we dropped a lot, which was WWKDA. <laughs> WWKDA, trivia. What do you think that stands for? What would KD allow? <laughs> no. What would KD ask? Ask smart, yeah, and so, like, when you said, like, do people listen to me when it comes to this topic? Oftentimes, they do because I hit them with some questions first, right? So, when someone tells me they want to get into leadership, first question, first, first question, are you ready to put your paycheck in someone else's hands? Mm -hmm. Great Second time. question, <laughs> are you willing to potentially make less and work harder than you've ever worked in your life? Third question. Are you willing to no longer have your paycheck tied to your work ethic? Right? You can work your way to success as a rep. You cannot work your way to success as a manager and leader. It does not matter how hard I work as a VP of sales. That doesn't matter. 
in terms of what my team can actually accomplish. And then as they're getting into like frontline management, right? Are you ready for me to be upset with you because of what your team is doing? Are you willing to fall on that sword for your team? And when I ask people those questions, what do you think I'm looking for? How do they respond? How do they react? I'm looking at body language. I'm looking at tone. I can tell they've never thought about these things. Half of the time, what it turns into is like, shit. I mean, no, but what do I do next? Right. That's a different conversation. We can have that conversation because you can be a leader without being a manager. Right. Leader, you can inspire. Manager, you're responsible for. Right. But also to your earlier point, what I would always tell, like, especially like my seniors, let's talk about the life you want to be living. Mm. Right. Because generally speaking, with most people, when they want to get into management, they want to get into VP, they're either chasing the title, which whatever. I can make anyone a VP tomorrow if you want to. Everyone listening, you're a VP. Congratulations. Whatever. <laughs> they're chasing the money and they don't realize that as a top performing rep, they might actually be making more than they're for sure making more than their manager. I've had reps come close to what I make as a VP. You know, sometimes more. You get in the enterprise space, those enterprise reps are making more than the VP in a lot of situations, right? So it's like they're chasing more money. So let's talk about that. But they're chasing novelty. Like they just want something new. Right. And so where I try to steer them is like, well, how can we create more novelty in your life and your work allows for it? Could you work less hours? Do you want to travel and work somewhere? Right. Like where can you get novelty somewhere else that your job allows you to have versus trying to seek novelty in your job? Right. So that does tend to steer people out of stepping into management because they've thought through it more. And the ones that are asked, like, no, like I'm ready for all that. All right. You got to prove it over the next six months. Right. So like on my team, by the time you became an internal promoted manager, everyone knew it was happening. Like it was a no brainer. Like. I mean, duh, Bobby's a manager now. What has he been doing? Right? Like there were books you had to read. I had 15 hours of manager training you had to watch and go through, right? You had to lead, like you had to earn that shit to show you were ready for it. And then you stepped in and they had a very, very high success rate doing that, right? So like, that's how I look at that. But you gotta make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it for money or title, you're gonna fail. It's that simple. Yeah. No, that's exactly right, man. Dude, you remind me so much of my very first mentor, Dominic Maraglia. And um, he had so many of these conversations with me and, um, you know, like anybody has his own faults, but that, that he did really well. He did really a good job of sort of setting the expectations of what leadership entailed and the challenges that went along with managing other people. Uh, and then he also gave a good job of sort of setting the stage for what the demands are and, and giving you a chance to mm, just, just work on those, work on building those skill sets before you're in the position. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on something that I think with Quotalist in general, um, as a, as a podcast, as a newsletter, as a workshop, I'm, I'm really trying to help sort of solve this riddle of, of, you know, thinking, I think, I think historically as, as salespeople, we think, you know, life gets better if we hit our quota, as opposed to when our life is better, we tend to hit quota. Right? And whether you're a leader, whether you're a seller, you know, you know, I think, I think that remains true. And so I'm curious what, what some of your findings have been around making that life experience better. Right. Cause, cause I do think you mentioned on it. People just sometimes when they're looking for promotions, they're just looking to change their reality a little bit. They're just looking for personal growth of some sort. And that title just seems like the obvious way to it. Yeah. So a question that I would ask my managers often and make sure that they're asking their reps is like, when's the last time you did something intentionally that brings you joy? When's the last time you did something intentionally that brings you joy? Right. And it's knowing those things, especially when people get into slumps, right? Someone's getting into a slump. Most leaders, unfortunately, and definitely most reps, the last thing they're thinking about is taking a break. Right. It's like, I got to go, 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 go versus I'm seeing you in a tough spot. It's like, yo, when's the last time you went fishing? Yeah. 
Like you love to fish. When's the last time you went fishing? Oh, dude, I haven't, have you been doing, I still, I remember this one. Um, her name was Lizette. She was really into yoga and she was in a really tough spot. She had missed a couple like months and like was really in a bad spot, super stressed. She was like crying in a one-on-one. I was like, when's the last time you did yoga? She's like, I don't have time. It's like, okay, I want you to go book one now, but also could you teach an after work yoga session here? Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's things like that where like most people just don't do things that bring them joy. So that's a big part of it is like, where are you doing things that bring joy in your life? Are you taking care of yourself? Right. This is what we did things like meditation for the team. We did visualization sessions, breath work sessions. Funny enough, I went to HR at one point. I was like, can I make exercise and meditation mandatory? Like if I build it into the day, if that's part of their eight hours, could I say you have to? exercise and meditate during this time what do you think they told me no no i was like wait okay time out so you can make everything else (laughs) so i can make cold calling mandatory a soul sucking destroying task i can make that mandatory but i can't make exercise and meditation mandatory like that's just backwards Right. But it's looking at like, how are they taking care of themselves? We talked a lot about that. Right. Because sales is stressful. It is. And I'm never going to tiptoe around that it's stressful. But there are things we can be doing better. Right. We, we did goal setting twice a year, twice a year on my teams. We did goal setting hour and a half sessions all the way through the goal. Why? What would change in their life? What are they tired of dealing with? Who do they need to be? What are those steps? Right. So we did a lot there. But I can also speak to this of like, I did a lot there. Doesn't mean everyone buys into it. It doesn't mean everyone like actually gives that they're all right. As human beings, we are survived creatures, not thrive creatures. And that's also a big problem across a lot of industries, right? Is they're just doing enough to survive. But that that's the, the, the main core of it, man, is like taking care of your people. I'm actually working with my, so I have a coach um, that I work with, Townsend Warland. We're actually working on a program right now called Sales Being. Not salesperson, not salesman, not saleswoman, sales being. Because like if we can change who people are being, the sales get better. Like I've got my being cards right here. Like here's who I need to be, not what I need to do. Here's who I need to be. And if I be this person, the do takes care of itself, right? So that's a little, oh teaser for y'all. I didn't plan on talking about that today, but that's something that we're working on is like, if we can affect the sales being that improves the sales. And that's going to be something that probably comes out later this year. Dude. Wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're already doing that too, I'm actually all for the mandatory exercise, mandatory meditation. It's pretty funny that, um, I mean, you just explained it really well. You explained it really well. So we'll leave it at that. But, um, but, but bravo. That's great. Um, last thing before we go, just because you keep talking about my teams and I, I don't know, this is something I've dealt with. I've been in consulting for almost three years now and um, I'm on retainer with you know four or five companies at, given, at any given time. And so I'm still like connected to individuals and teams, but not in that same like in the trenches every day, you know, sort of fo- honing in on a few folks to really develop. Um, I assume that that's the same case with you. You don't have that. You just don't have what you had a patient pop. Mm-hmm. How's that? How's that been? Have you been uh, sort of wrapping your arms around that? Um, so far so good. And that's, again, that's why I'm working with the managers. Right? Yeah. You can't build that with a hundred reps, even when it's your own team. I think that's what people also feel like once I had 150 people, there were people on my team. I didn't know personally, right? Especially once we went fully remote, there are people I'd literally never met. But even right now, know? these managers are in like your, your sort of training cohort. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not reporting to you, right? They, they probably can come and go to some extent. Yes. It's not that same camaraderie. I imagine. No, it's, it's definitely not. But it doesn't change how, again, how I be, right? <laughs> when I am presenting, when I am coaching and training, I have my, my full intention is impact. My full intention, whether I get you for five minutes, I get you for five hours, or I get you five years. Like if you spoke to my managers and team, they would tell you I'm very intentional. 
And so I'm going to give you everything I can, whether that's one hour or that's more, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to do everything I can to, to help and support. So I have a very close network of mentees that I still get to work with very closely and, you know, more relationships there. I'm very in touch with damn near all my former managers, like damn near all my former managers, patient pop, service Titan, snack nation, human, like I'm in Austin Wilson. He's leading things at GovTech. Sean Gentry. He's now over at outreach leading their shit. Michael Tuso. He was at chili Piper, right? Like, like all of them, like I stay in touch with, right? So I still have my people that I feel like I'm helping grow. And now I get to watch that mafia spread. And like, that's, that's the fun part for, for me. So it is different. And I'd be willing to bet within the next couple of years, I miss it enough to step back. In. I would, I we're we're masochists, man. Like we're, we're, we put ourselves through hell just for no good reason, but I know I'll miss the build and I know I'll miss having my own team, but right now I'm really enjoying the impacting of a lot of people versus just the, you know, 20, 30 managers on my team or just the 150 that are on my team. Wonderful, man. Wonderful. Um, leaders, if you're listening, I, I think that's another really good point. You made a lot of good points today, Kevin, and, and I appreciate you coming on the show. But that last point about just rattling off all those names, you know, that that's really, really cool. And I think when we're in the moment as leaders, we just, we can't sort of recognize the future selves where we have sort of our Rolodex of folks that we really left an impact on. Um, and, and, you know, you want to, you want to sort of live with that in the moment, knowing that, you know, two, three years from now, you, you want more of those stories than not, you know, uh, the reason when you and I came into contact is through Max Kim Brown. Mm-hmm. Max was the very first person I ever managed. Dang. And, uh, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up being in his, I ended up officiating his wedding. You know, we both moved from out of state. Um, we're at the same sales job and we started cold calling together in the streets of Hollywood and, you know, really, really built a strong kinship and bond. And, and it all started with me just looking out for him and trying to do my best to, uh, to train him to be his best self. And, you know, later on in life, now we're, we're just best friends for it. So oh, glad, yeah. you, glad you have the same, um, the same sort of relationship with a few other people. So um, we'll wrap this thing up. What's, uh, I mean, dude, it sounds like if you're a manager, you're a leader, you definitely got to get some, uh, some face time with Kevin. Uh, how, how should folks, um, find you, reach out yeah. to you and, and get some so on Dorsey. Definitely on like on LinkedIn, but I'm at that stupid connection limit. So like, I can't really accept any more connections, which is just stupid. I've like cleaned it out seven, eight <laughs> times. Like, so I have the connection Ooh, limit there. Oh, so you, darn. <laughs> right. It's like, dude, talk about like first world, first world, first world problems, right? <laughs> like whatever that, I don't even know if that counts. Right. Like, but so that's there, but like definitely like have my own podcast, live better, sell better. We try to talk about very similar type topics, real get tactical, but also talk about, the person in salesperson. So I would direct people there, either my LinkedIn or to the podcast. And, you know, hopefully they got some value from this today. All right. Thanks, brother. Hell yeah. If you enjoyed today's show, please go and support it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Quotalist weekly newsletter by going to Quotalist.io. Remember, when you embrace practice, develop awareness, and align your efforts, you can rise above the deal. You can live quotalists.